is soy food consumption turning men into pussies? Um, what? Hello, and welcome to your new favourite podcast from the Burgess Hill Mid-Sussex area. What? I'm your host, Jack Cooper, and my guest this week, and every week, is Thomas Cooper. Hey, how's it going? It's nice to see that uh, a hierarchy of sorts has already developed amongst the co-hosts. Okay, we'll stop using the Steven Crowder sound effect now. <laughs> I mean, I quite like it as a as an audio cue of when you're uh, when the listeners are expected to laugh. Okay, so let's get to it. So, what is this podcast? Um, other than a complete vanity project, in all seriousness, it's essentially us. Um, reformulating, reappropriating ideas that we have, we feel have been somewhat left in the sand, um, lost in time, per se. And that's why it's called The Ideas Left. You're just dying to add in a soundbite now, aren't you? I'm just wondering whether to add in that it's also part of the poet left universe <laughs> who knows I mean I will show my blog as equally effectively as you mate speaking of link in the description guys in this first season we're looking at the work of well God the late Alfred Adler the late Alfred Adler that died a um, hundred years or so ago and then in later seasons we plan to look at the late Jesus Christ the late Aristotle even Seemingly death at any point throughout history qualifies qualifies you as a late sassy. <laughs> I mean I'm just I'm just protesting against my masculinity. Okay, so I think we should explain to the listeners who Alfred Adler actually is. Okay. Um so Alfred Adler was essentially an Austrian psychoanalyst, um, who built a system of psychology called individual psychology um in which he kind of moved past simply providing psychiatrists um with a school of psychotherapy to practice but instead wanted to give them a philosophical framework with which to interpret and comprehend um, information relevant to an understanding of human nature as a whole basically he got a lot of things right not that we'll accurately be able to get that across to you. But we'll try. And the reason that we're talking about Alfred Adler in relation to the ideas left is because he's kind of a forgotten man. Most of you will have heard of Sigmund Freud. Um, a few of you might have heard of Jacques Lacan. And a tiny minority might have heard of Melanie Klein. But uh, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that's, that's heard of Alfred. So if you have, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know more about him than us. So, in this week's episode, I say that like we're actually going to stick to a weekly schedule on this. <laughs> in this week's episode, we're talking about a theory Alfred Adler had called the masculine protest. Already cleverly referenced by myself. In particular, 
we'll be looking at that theory in relation to a group already referenced in this podcast already. Cleverly referenced. Thanks for that, Psychic Son. Not a problem, Alan. We're also only talking about the theory in relation to men, for all you feminists. We've got to keep the misogyny down to a minimum early on, at least until people are used to it. And we are privileged white men, so we think that it is appropriate for us to only talk about <laughs> things from our own experience. It's almost as if we needed more privileged white men with a platform. <laughs> so what is the masculine protest? I'm not too sure, but if I had to take a guess, it was whatever went on in Brighton yesterday. So, in all seriousness, Adler felt that the driving force behind psychic disturbances or uh, mental disorders was this idea of the masculine protest. So, he saw this as an attempt of some people to deal with society's overvaluation of masculinity. Men who subscribed to this overvaluation wanted to be like a real man, or, in other words, powerful. If they failed to meet this standard, they became discouraged, um, resigned, withdrew from daily life, or overcompensated, um, which I think is the aspect that we're going to be focusing on today. But perhaps, for some, and I quote here from the presumably popular American neo-Nazi magazine, The National Vanguard, this could be a blessing, as... The number of effeminate males has increased greatly. Legions of sissies and weaklings, of flabby, limp-wristed, non-aggressive, non-physical, indecisive, slack-jawed, fearful males who, while still heterosexual in theory and practice, have not even a vestige of the old macho spirit, so deprecated today, left in them. I'm slightly scared as to the number of adjectives listed there that could be applied to myself. The National Vanguard talks about this idea of the new male. More pacifist, less authoritarian, more sensitive, less competitive, more androgynous, less possessive. And obviously, into podcasts by the the sound of things. (laughs) Well, I think um, while we're on the topic of Nazis, it's uh, fitting to introduce our next idea, which is that of masculine overcompensation. For the masculine overcompensation thesis essentially entails that the way by which men react to masculine insecurity is by enacting extreme demonstrations of their own masculinity. So, male pursuit of masculinity in the face of threats is driven by desires to recover masculine status, both in their own and the eyes of the other. So, if true, it essentially implies that if you see a man enacting the kind of extreme caricature demonstration of masculinity, it's in fact a telltale sign of underlying insecurity rather than an expression of uh, confidence in any way. So, what examples have we got, other than certain people that we know? 
See, I thought we could just kind of list initials such as RJ and then <laughs> the listeners could guess who we're, uh, <laughs> who we're talking about. But an actual example is um, potentially my favourite psychological study. That could be a good idea for a later season, actually. Just a countdown of Thomas Cooper's favourite psychological studies of all time. I mean, I think that the underlying theme may be eerily similar to that of the Corrigan game of Pictionary. Film. One word. Bruno. Milk. Brokeback Mountain. Emmanuel. We've added the audio to supplement what may be the nichiest peep show reference of all time. <laughs> well, now to add uh, even more context to, uh, to that reference, it was found that men with more overt homophobic attitudes actually showed greater sexual arousal when watching videos of um, homosexual intercourse, so gay porn, despite um, reporting lower levels of arousal than men without the homophobic attitudes. So um, men who fear they have insufficient masculinity by perhaps being homosexual overcompensate by enacting extreme masculine behaviours and attitudes designed to create the impression that they are in fact quite masculine. So if you've got any homophobic friends, and again, I won't name names, for quite literal police reasons. They might be overcompensating. I mean, the thing I love most about this study is um, the potential conversations that could be born out of it. I mean, I like imagining the, the dad looking his son in the eye and kind of putting his hand on the table and saying, so, son, explain to your mother and I that study you were in. Moving on. It's also been found that men who were described as feminine by researchers replied to a follow-up questionnaire by declaring more sympathetic attitudes to war, more homophobia, and bizarrely, more of a desire to buy an SUV than those declared as masculine. These aren't studies either that we've simply pulled out of a a vacuum to support the idea of the masculine protest and overcompensation specifically there's actually quite a large body of evidence supporting this idea and uh, we'll leave a, a small catalogue of it in the description if anyone's if anyone wants to see the the raw data but now instead of focusing on studies we're going to be applying this theory to well not the real world, but that strange space occupied by a group known as the alt-right. Dun, dun, dun. This is the, uh, this is the scary part where we actually try and blindly theorise ourselves. We found a good definition in Merriam-Webster for the alt-right who define them as a right-wing, primarily online political movement or grouping based in the US, whose members reject mainstream conservative politics and espouse extremist beliefs and policies typically centred on ideas of white nationalism. I also like this from Rational Wiki. 
The alt-right uses a lexicon filled with memes, stolen left-wing terminology with altered meanings and in-jokes. Whether this is because the alt-right is just a bunch of cringy man-children, or because they hope to hide their racist intentions, the world may never know. And as we're talking about and applying Adler's ideas of masculine protest and masculinity, I think it's appropriate to specifically hone in on the term cringy man-children. In a way, that phrase eloquently and concisely describes better than an entire podcast what we're trying to say. I mean, I think, um, in a way, cringy man-children could be applicable to most men, as inherent in all men. I think is somewhat of a of a masculine lack. And I think in relation to this lack, it highlights the asymmetry between masculinity and femininity in the ways that we're granted the labels masculine and feminine from birth. So the male subject, for example, he's a, he's born into the world and grows up within it, accepting an inherent lack in terms of masculinity. The masculine is presented as almost a goal, um, a teleological striving, with full achievement of the the masculine essentially impossible. But uh, this is contrasted by femininity, whereby within women there's there's almost an excess of it, unless we're conscious of a of a perceived loss, through perhaps the removal of a the the feminine signifier such as long hair for example so i think a female is feminine in virtue of being female whereas a male is not solely masculine in virtue of being a man um, putting a lot more weight on the idea of masculinity and it could be argued that this is because the implicit assumption that has existed in society and culture for thousands of years or so which is that masculinity is strength and femininity is weakness. Adler described masculinity and femininity as metaphors for being weak and strong and his classification of power was inferior equals below equals feminine whereas powerful equals above equals masculine. So it's this idea of striving for strength and striving for superiority, which Adler talks about and is inherent in the male attainment of the masculine ideal. And this lack that you talk about comes from the the basic conflict that we're not born masculine. And Adler talks about the people who suffer from masculine protest are filled with doubt regarding their manliness, doubting their manhood. Therefore, to overcome this striving again for the superiority and to become a real man, which was something that Adler defined as a characteristic of the masculine protest. Well, I think um, I think one reason that this striving has um, such a fragile mental underpinning and um, lack always has a a psychic presence is because masculine status itself 
is relative and hierarchical. There always needs to be a non-masculine other to compare the notion of masculinity against. Thus, as, as one man establishes his masculine standing, he necessarily diminishes the standing of other, of other men. Like one way I can establish my own masculinity is by belittling the other, creating a self-reinforcing dynamic in which we as men actually feed the social pressure that compelled our own striving in the first place. Thus, masculine insecurity is almost contagious as it creates in us as men the, the seeds of our own perpetuation. There will always be a subject that is lacking and no one wants that subject to be themselves. And the stark reality behind phrases like psychic disturbances is the fact that in the UK men are three times as likely to die by suicide than women. Well, I think there's actually um, there's somewhat of a problem with the phrase um, well, men, men don't talk about their feelings, we need to encourage men to talk about their feelings because um, it almost kind of by encouraging a man to talk about his feelings and referencing the fact that he is a man so it is rare for him to do so you're almost encouraging the separation, the kind of hierarchical separation of the man who talks about his feelings from other men. So um, the phrase itself, in terms of what we've talked about today, psychically, um, almost reinforces the lack by highlighting the fact that to talk about your feelings, you've got to separate yourself from the pack amongst the hierarchy. But then... What would you propose? Um, I think that's the issue because I'm not trying to say it's inherently bad to say to a man you must, uh, you need to talk about your feelings because it's so important. But I think even the phrase potentially, potentially, sorry, perpetuates the uh, the psychic ideal or idea that um, we're trying to dispel. I'm not sure about that, really, because. Ultimately, the whole talk about your feelings, it's educating men and attempting to change the societal ideal of masculinity. So although, yes, when the first few and the first few men who have and are being more open and more, quotation marks, feminine in talking about their feelings, perhaps, that, yeah, that could cause some psychic disturbances and cause some conflict in a society that is still underpinned by this masculine ideal but at the same time this has to happen and the, the more men who do do that and the more men who do talk about their feelings and whatnot that causes an increase and an increase and an increase until the societal idea of masculinity has changed yeah, I think that changing the societal ideal of masculinity is so, 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 so key to reducing these, these psychic disturbances. I just wish there was a way to frame this imperative outside of the man 
in reference to uh, the masculine. And I think it also boils down to whether you think that um, the societal idea of masculinity can be shifted by, um, by a snowball effect. Well, let's not drown ourselves in pessimism. I think there are examples of this changing ideal of masculinity, and I think you could even argue that that neo-Nazi magazine quote, which talked about the arrival of the sissies and the limp-wristed and the weak, flabby new males, there's hope in that. And I think if we look at figures like Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles, these new male style icons are very different to the masculine ideals of old in terms of their androgyny and fluid, ambiguous sexuality. I think it boils down to the fact of whether you take these figures and think they have the potential to become um, a mainstream style icon or masculine figure. Because I wouldn't say that they've penetrated... I think perhaps our kind of subgroup and the the, the culture that, that we consume... But uh, on a on a global masculine scale, to shift this global um, hegemonic masculinity, I'm not sure that they're looking like doing that. It's difficult to measure, but I would argue that there is progress there, definitely. And you mentioned the term hegemonic masculinity, and I think that's something that we should talk about next, particularly in relation to the alt right. Hegemonic masculinity is a concept with three dimensions. A position, a system, and an ideology. So far on this podcast, we've talked about the idea of the masculine ideal, but this could also be referred to as the hegemonic position, which is a currently accepted male ideal within a particular culture at a particular time. Most men fall into the complicit position, where they enjoy the benefits of the system. But there is also the subordinated position and the marginalised position, which are further down in the hierarchy. Gay men and non-white men typically fall into these positions. And then this all operates within a system and ideology in which men are in the dominant, powerful position compared to women. Okay, so how can this be applied to the alt-right? After that, I feel like we could just rename this episode we're sorry the alt-right seemed to fixate on the loss of this hegemonic position and seemed to deny that men are really benefiting at all from the current situation take the Samaritan statistic on suicide that I referenced earlier this can and is used to suggest that men fundamentally don't benefit at all from the system that currently exists Creating this us versus them, almost defensive victim stance, which then, it can be argued, leads them to overcompensate and lash out in symbolic forms of violence, for example, online by trolling. I think that is um, the ultimate irony, really, of the reverence of masculinity in relation to the alt-right, that even the masculine compensation... Um, enacted by members of the movement um, is almost completely contradicting the notion of masculinity that they're revering. They manage to encompass both elements 
of um, Adler's masculine protest in that they hold this ideal but at the same time shy away from it. And I suppose this is where the internet is so vital to the movement as a whole because ultimately they are most likely will never be the hegemonic man that they aspire to but in the form of trolling and in the form of their online personalities they can almost fantasize and play and act out that hegemonic man see i think that the majority um of the members of the alt-right don't even aspire to be the hegemonic man because they somehow compartmentalize um the idea of the masculine and this kind of um biological determinism that uh, they believe categorizes their own position within society so again it's just extremely ironic that they always talk about this this higher man this uh, this masculine man while believing that biology has determined them to almost never aspire to this Except perhaps if we use the concept of hegemonic masculinity, we can look at the dominance they can still wield over the subordinated males and the minority males who are lower down in the hierarchy and supposedly, in their view, don't have the legitimacy or even can't even aspire to the homogenous man that they so idealise. So I suppose even though if you take incels, they they seemingly don't believe or don't want to, to get with women, supposedly, they could still see themselves as higher up in the masculinity hierarchy because of their inherent heterosexuality and whiteness compared to minorities and uh, gay males. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to disagree with you there. And... Uh... While I accept the the concept of hegemonic masculinity, I don't think that incels would see themselves as above anyone within the hierarchy, because incels believe that society, um, especially these hierarchies, are solely biologically determined and ultimately come down to one's ability to have sex. So the incel hierarchy is entirely fatalistic in that it is determined solely by whether one can have sex. So I think it's a not the greatest example, um, but hegemonic masculinity as a concept still stands. And Thomas is the resident incel expert, so sometimes you do just have to bow down to his first-hand experience <laughs> in this field. Well, I think one reason why the incel could be racist and why the incel um, finds finds himself moving towards the ideas of the alt-right is because um, he sees these minorities um, as above him within the hierarchy. So as well as hating the uh, the meme of the Chad, per se, as well as hating that who enjoys by by having sex this becomes all encompassing in terms of um in terms of minorities as well and i suppose it's this basic conflict between the idealized white male and the supposed 
I suppose, natural hierarchy and natural order of how things should be. And the reality, which for incels and seemingly many members of the alt-right is not the same as the fantasy which they can play and exercise online. See, again, I'm going to have to disagree with the... uh, (laughs) going to have to disagree with the lumping in of incels because as incels are biologically determinist, effectively, I think they believe that this is how it should be. They consider themselves as ugly, so therefore they should be... um, They should be... um, involuntarily celibate so like uh, there's a really good documentary called shy guys irl which uh, we might leave a link in the description to if uh, <laughs> if that decision is mutual because it's really really good but one of the um one of the men in that advanced he thinks that sex comes down to 95 percent looks five percent personality and as looks are um to quite a large extent determined by biology um one would then say that his outlook is um fatalistic in terms of this biological element so yeah i'm not just i'm not sure about the grouping in of incels despite incels being uh being woman haters i'm not trying to dispel that <laughs> we'll also be leaving thomas's reddit username in the <laughs> links in the description below so as long as that's mutual We've been ban- I've been banned from Reddit. I can't go on there anymore. I do think, though, that there is something in this difference between the incel online and in real life in terms of the power that they can exercise from behind that keyboard compared to, I suppose, approaching a girl or being in a bar or whatever in that space they can sort of live a kind of fantasy life that they that although biologically determined in real life with girls they can somewhat attain a a closeness or at least get closer to that idea of the ideal man through their behavior online i know you're probably desperate for me to ask you about the development of incels and late capitalism but (laughs) we're not going there we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up so goodbye (laughs) so let's talk about adler one more time because he is after all what this season is broadly about even though we do go off a bit well i think um it might be a bit of a stretch but uh adler could say and I use could very loosely. Um, Are you speaking for Alfred Adler here? I'm channeling his the late, go, Alfred, the late, Adler. late Alfred Adler. I've got a Ouija board out on my desk, and I'm kind of just just waiting for him to talk to me. But I think he could diagnose the alt right as a whole um, as suffering from the most extreme form of masculine protest, as it doesn't just. Um, doesn't just exhibit one symptom that he thought was integral to the uh, the psychic disturbances, but it somehow manages to uh, merge every symptom into one. So you've got the uh, you've got the overcompensation that we've talked about, but at the same time you have got um, the rejection of the ideal in terms of lifestyle, 
I mean, Rick Roderick famously said of, well, I say famously, he's not famous, but he said of Nietzsche that um, he was essentially the Plato to his own Socrates, um, in that he managed to construct this kind of semi, it wasn't autobiographical, his books, but they constructed this life that perhaps he wished he could lead. I think the alt-right in the same way. Um, they are all Plato's to their own Socrates. They espouse all these ideals, while in reality um, they can never achieve them and will never lead them. Thus spake Zarathustra. So, thanks for listening. And we'll end with one beautiful quote. Ah!